Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Now, the recent election brought a change of government and, of course, a new Minister for Agriculture. The appointment was a major surprise, I have to say. It was not the nominated Shadow Minister, and it was not either of the former Ag Ministers in the, in the Federal Parliament today, St Tony Burke being one of them, or indeed the last-minute tip of Bill Shorten. Senator Murray Watt, a Queenslander with an urban background, has the gig. Senator Watt, on behalf of Beef Central, welcome. Congratulations, you are the Minister for Agriculture. Thanks very much, Kerry. I'm really honoured, obviously, and incredibly excited to take on this portfolio. I think it's one of the best portfolios anyone could hope to have um, in the Cabinet of Australia. So, yeah, really excited and looking forward to getting stuck in. It's a big gig. Just about everybody outside the capital cities will have an interest in your decisions and, of course, many within the urban boundaries. And, in fact, the reality is your decisions will immediately or essentially touch every Australian because, of course, we all have to eat. That's right, Kerry. Um, whether you live in regional Australia and you're a producer or you're a farm worker or you're working in a processing shed uh, or whether you're a city person going to buy your groceries and buying your fruit and veg, um, agriculture is a portfolio that affects every Australian. Uh, having said that, obviously the primary operations of the industry tend to be in rural and regional Australia. And to be honest, that was one of the reasons why I was really keen to take on this portfolio uh, I'm Brisbane-based myself, but I've got a lot of family history around regional Queensland, including in farming. Well, let's, um, well, let's have and, a look at yeah. your let's have a look at your background. I mean, you you you've got a law commerce degree at the University of Queensland. Most of your working life, you've been a uh, political apparatchik. You worked for uh, Premiers Bly and Palaszczuk. What did you learn there that will help you in the agriculture portfolio? Yeah, you're right, Kerry. I have had a pretty long history in both government and politics following my legal career. And really, really the reason I went down that path, and I know this sounds really corny, but I sort of thought that was a good way to make the world a better place, um, to get involved in public policy and in government so you can change policies to make a difference. And really, as I say, you know, through my family history and farming, I've sort of grown up around it, if not in it. Um, and the roles that I've had in the Queensland government and then more recently in the Senate have always had a very big focus on regional life. Uh, so that has meant I've, I've, I've had to get to understand agriculture um, and the impact that it has on rural communities. Yes, you, were, uh, you, you can't be you, a senator you, for Queensland and not. Yes, you were at one stage. Mm. In fact, Shadow Minister for Northern Australia, I assume that got you out and about a bit, at least across sure the north. Sure did. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, obviously over the last three years, uh, travel was a little bit limited um, with COVID and things like that. But uh, the way the former government had sort of structured Northern Australia, it was pretty much anywhere north of the Tropic of Capricorn in Queensland, all of the Northern Territory and then all of Northern Western Australia. So I spent a lot of time on the road, particularly in Queensland, North Queensland and the Northern Territory. It was pretty hard to get to WA, unfortunately, uh, but, uh, but did make it over there once or twice. Um, and yeah, I think I'm, I'm someone who loves getting out on the ground, talking with people. Um, I'll, I'll do the briefings in the office and all that kind of thing and meet people in my office. But 
I love nothing more than actually getting out and talking to people, which is why I've tried to make a real effort to do that very early in the term. Well, get the, let's get into policies, and I would suggest, um, and I'm certain of widespread support in this, labour shortages across uh, farming, grazing, horticulture, properties, processing, etc., are of epic proportions, and the outlook is disastrous. What do you plan to do about this? Yeah, you're dead right, Kerry. Uh, that is without doubt the biggest issue that's been raised with me by all farm groups, whether they be in beef or any other sector, uh, is that shortage of workers. Um, and it's not a new problem. It's something that we've been experiencing in this country for years. Obviously, it got worse through COVID, uh, but it is something that was a problem even before COVID as well. So in terms of what we're going to do about it, well, first of all, I'm going to do a lot of listening to people who who know more than me about what we can do to fix things. But we did take a few policies to the election to try to address this as well. Um, I mean, what I've also found is that whenever we start talking about worker shortages and how to fix them, people immediately go to what are the options to bring people in from from overseas. Uh, And that's certainly an important part of the solution. Uh, And we've got some ideas on that. But I also don't think we should give up on the idea of training Australians um, and encouraging people either to move to the regions or stay in the regions by giving them the proper training that they need. And you know, our government, the Albanese government, intends to make a much bigger investment in training than what we saw from the previous government through a lot more investment in TAFE. And you know, we promised to have, I think it was about 465,000 fee-free TAFE places around the country in areas of skill shortage. And that would, of course, include a range of careers in ag. But, you know, I recognise that the Australian population just isn't big enough um, to be able to supply all the industry's needs. And frankly, it's not just ag who are scrambling for workers at the moment. Pretty much any industry you talk to has skill shortages. So Indeed I think it is. realistically... Can I, can I just say this is a looming regional catastrophe as well as a, as a rural workforce, uh, uh, quite a dilemma out there. It's not just farmers and graziers. It's people who no, to, to, to turn no, the beds no. in, in motels to serve the coffee in cafes. Et exactly. Yeah, look, I, I remember um, being up around Cairns um, and, and far north Queensland in the middle of the COVID crisis when things were their worst and... Tourists were barely coming up there, which, of course, was devastating for a place like that. But even with the low tourist numbers, they still couldn't find enough housekeepers and chefs and waiters you know, to cater for the lower number. So we've got a genuine problem as a country. And as I say, that investment in training, I think, will help. But when it comes to ag, I recognise that we are going to need a level of migration to resume back into the country. Uh, backpackers have played an important role um, in the agriculture sector, providing a workforce. We've also had Pacific labour schemes and and migrants from other countries as well. Um, And one of the things that we particularly want to expand is the Pacific labour scheme. Um, That's obviously been a successful way of uh, bringing in workers from the Pacific uh, to meet particularly horticulture, but ag more generally, um, the needs there. And we want to strengthen that. Um, uh, There are are over 50,000 Pacific workers who've been vetted as ready to come and work in the country. And we haven't made use of that. So well, okay, well, 50,000 really 50, ready? That's, Why aren't yeah, they that's, un, un, that's underway? What, Why aren't they... Well, that's a good question. That's a good question, Kerry. I think that um, my impression, and this is early days, obviously, but my impression is that the former government um, wasn't such a believer in the Pacific program. And, um, you know, let's face it, they sort of withdrew from the Pacific generally, whether it be foreign affairs or, or workforce. And... Uh, they went down a path of the ag visa uh, looking more towards Southeast Asia. 
Uh, and our problem with that was really that the, the sort of regime putting around, being put around it, we didn't think had the level of protections against exploitation that are needed. Unfortunately, we have seen examples of that in ag, and unfortunately it's given parts of the industry a bad reputation, which they don't deserve. Oh, well, I agree, um, so, but it's not yeah. just, not. Um, excuse me for interrupting, Minister, but it's not just uh, agriculture that has a, a reputation for exploiting no, right. work. It's right across the workforce, but that... that that issue that they started with were the recruiting of labour, and they had to. They sent, I understand this, memorandums of understanding to all the mm. Asian nations, South Pacific countries, and they only got response, a positive response from one. But I was told that there was an active campaign by the Australian Workers Union within those embassies, and blaming the the the, the potential problems on the ex, the apparent exploitation of workers by Australian farmers. And this is why the, that yeah, but, visa didn't work. Yeah, I've certainly heard David Littleproud, the former minister, uh, make that claim. Um, I haven't seen any evidence of it myself, but, you know, you know, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But I think one of the problems that David had, and I get on with David on a personal level, but one of the problems that I think he had was that there were members of his own government who were undermining it as well. Uh, it was very widely reported that, the former Foreign Affairs Minister, Maurice Payne, didn't support the ag visa um, that was being proposed by David Littleproud and tried to weaken it as well. So it's hard to get something up if members of your own government are working against you. Um, so, you know, I think for whatever reason it was, it just didn't work. And you know, there were all sorts of claims made about how many workers it was going to deliver to Australia and it didn't produce a single one. So that's why we've just decided to go down a different path um, through the Pacific Scheme. Uh, but I've said already to farm groups and to unions and anyone else involved in the sector that if people have got other ideas about how we meet our workforce needs, then I'm all ears. Um, I don't I don't pretend to be the only person with an idea here. Um, you know we you know we know that there's a workforce crisis. Um, if we've got ways of accessing overseas labour that um, can be treated fairly, that doesn't undermine local wages and conditions, then you know we're up for that discussion. Um, and I think. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the PM uh, announced heading into the election that we would hold uh, a jobs and skills summit, a bit like the one the Hawke government had when they were elected, to bring together industry groups, unions, community leaders, government, to sit around the table and work through these issues. And um, I would expect that you know, meeting the needs of the ag, ag workforce is something that I'm pushing to be included in that well, summit. That's, summit. Uh, that's excellent news. Deloitte's, in fact, said in a report just a couple of years ago, farming is on the verge of a workforce crisis. Um, surely that crisis is here now. Would you consider, as part of that conference, uh, uh, a special area concentrating on the crisis in the rural workforce? As I say, I have already advocated that we need to be thinking about the needs of the ag workforce as a core theme of this Jobs and Skills Summit. I think that it's still being designed how it's going to work and whether we have sort of different panels and different sectors and things like that. But I'm really keen to make sure that the ag sector is well represented at that skills summit um, and, and, and rural industries more generally, because as you say, it's not just farms that are struggling to get labour, it's you know, the coffee shop in town, the retail store, the cleaners and all Absolutely. that kind of thing. And Absolutely. I want to make sure that um, we do we do have the interests of rural Australia uh, at the heart of this summit when it, uh, it happens a little bit later this year. Can I just say that uh, rural Australia is losing faith in political promises uh, about solving the labour shortages? You know why? Because they've heard it all before and been disappointed. Yeah. 
yeah, no, look, I can understand people's scepticism. Um, uh, and, you know, I think, I suppose it's one of those things, people believe you when you do things rather than you say you're going to do things. So, okay. you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that this is something that we can solve overnight. This has been a problem now for years. Um, but what I can tell you is that I'm determined to work with industry, work with unions, work with everyone who's got an idea. I'll work with you, Kerry, if you've got an idea, uh, because it is a massive problem and we've got to try and solve it. Let's take a uh, short break now to hear a message from our podcast partner, Alenco Animal Health. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. You're on the grill again. Welcome back. You're with Senator Murray Watt, Australia's new Minister for Agriculture. Minister, let's move on now to biosecurity. A recent CSIRO report said Australia is at risk risk of increased disease outbreaks and pest incursions and damage to our global trading situation. A couple of major issues that are emerging. First of all, lumpy skin disease. Uh, Cattle people, especially across the north, tell me it's hard to access information about what to look for in cattle and and for possible infection, what is actually what it actually looks like? They don't really know. Are there any plans to ramp up an LSD awareness campaign, not just across the north but across the broader cattle industry? Yeah, there definitely are, um, Kerry, and some of that work is already happening. But we're, I'm already working with my department um, about um, what we can do to expand that. Obviously, we'd need to obtain funding to do these kind of things, and they're discussions that we're having. Uh, But look, again, as I said to you, I would say workforce shortages is probably the biggest issue that's been raised with me, but I sort of think that the biosecurity issues are probably the biggest risk uh, facing the country. Um, You know, we already have a number of nasty pests and diseases in this country that are coming from overseas, and lumpy skin and foot and mouth disease are two things that we desperately want to try and keep out. Um, we, you know, we're doing a lot of work with Indonesia to try to help them get their outbreaks under control. But I agree with you. I think awareness campaigns and making sure that farmers and, and others in rural communities know what to look out for and know what to do if they see it is a key part of it as well. The LSD vaccines, I understand, are, are being distributed um, and more Indonesians have made war aware of it and so is. I believe that the FMD vaccine has been taken into Indonesia and is being distributed as we speak. Yeah, they're, they're certainly making some progress on that front. and um, uh, But I think we are concerned about how far and wide these outbreaks are getting uh, within, within Indonesia. Um, and as I say, that's one of the reasons why we are providing vaccines and technical support and training uh, to our friends in Indonesia. Uh, what happens over there has a direct impact on us and our economy. So it's in our interest to help them bring this under control. And I was very pleased to see uh, when the Prime Minister visited Indonesia recently, uh, the, these issues around biosecurity and these diseases in particular were raised by the Prime Minister with the Indonesian President as a, uh, as a priority issue for our countries to work on. Um, and I think that's important because you know, when global leaders talk to each other and make commitments to work together, that sends a really good message to people like me and my department to get on with it and make sure that we're doing it. There are, uh, of course, sentinel animals uh, posted all across northern Australia and they are regularly blood-checked for any new infection. 
is LSD on that list of infections to be checked? Is it yet been? Look, I'll be honest with you, Kerry. I'm not. A, I'm not aware of that detail, but I'll certainly follow that up for you. Um, what I do know, and I've, I've now had a number of briefings with our department, including from the chief vet when he returned from his trip to Indonesia. Um, it's probably the issue I've been dealing with the department most about. Um, so um, I know that some of that work is happening, but I might need to follow up that detail for you. Yeah, he's been very active, hasn't he? He's been in Indonesia two or three he times. Um, he has. Our FMD yeah. vaccine stock, I understand it's held in Europe, and it's mm. a pretty, pretty tricky vaccine to handle, and a lot of people don't want even the vaccine to come to Australia. Is there any thought that the skills we obtain during the COVID pandemic with vaccines and the mixing of them and the way they're created, is there any thought to that process being uh, applied to adopting our own FMD vaccine here in Australia, down at Geelong maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's something I've begun talking with my department about, uh, Kerry. And as you say, there are some issues around um, the, the transportation of live vaccines like this one between different countries. They've, they've obviously got to be handled very carefully. Um, it's not the kind of thing you want escaping into the general community. Um, and you've got to have tight regulations about how those sorts of things are transported. Um, and uh, so, so we're working through that with the department at the moment. Um, the, but you're right, I think that the, the work that was done through COVID um, has taught us some lessons about how we can manage vaccines properly uh, and what to do and what not to do. So I would expect that some of those lessons will be used when it comes to managing these sorts of vaccines as well. Yeah, I'd like to remind our listeners and yourself, I'm sure you're aware of this, that a uh, F&D outbreak in Australia would be an instant $50 billion hit to rural Australia. It'd be dreadful. It'd be dreadful. Um, so, um, the uh, yeah, look, I, I think, in fact, I think the department has estimated that foot and mouth disease alone would have an $80 billion impact on the Australian economy uh, over a 10-year period. So, it's totally in our interest to try to keep this thing out of the country and the more we can do, do with Indonesia to work with them, um, uh, the better really. Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. You're on the grill again. Welcome back. You're with Senator Murray Watt, Australia's new Minister for Agriculture. Uh, energy costs for primary producers, the Australian Farm Institute estimates that energy costs for Australia's farm sector is close to $6 billion, but recent price rises have in fact outstripped the farm sector's ability to match those price rises with efficiencies. Can you offer the farm sector anything in this uh, emerging factor about the rise and rise and rise of uh, energy costs for them? Yeah, again, Kerry, this is something that's come up in most of the discussions I've had with farmers and farm groups uh, because 
you know, it's not just people's power bills um, uh, that are going up. It's it's those input costs like diesel and fertilizer and yes, all the indeed. kind of things yes. that rely on gas and electricity to produce. Um, again, I think um, I don't want to give people false hope. I don't think this is something that is going to change overnight. Uh, again, the problems we've had in Australia's energy market have been coming for years and, you know, I'm sorry to say we didn't have enough action on these issues under the previous government, so we've got to try and fix them. Um, over time, uh, we do have a plan to bring down power costs, particularly uh, through much greater investment in renewable energy, uh, which I think is actually a particularly good thing for rural Australia because that's where most of it will be produced and transmitted and that means jobs for rural Australia. Um, and we expect that over time we can significantly bring down power prices, uh, which then means fertiliser costs and things like that fall as well. I'm having some discussions, though, in the meantime with some of the other ministers responsible for these things about how we can help the farm sector. Um, the thing I've been at pains to, to tell my colleagues is that you know it's understandable that everyone's focusing on the cost of transmitting power and what that means for people's power bills, but farmers and farm producers and processors are sort of end users of these things. And whenever there's a, an increase to those sort of big wholesale power prices, that flows through in costs. So my main aim at the moment, I suppose, has been to make sure that agriculture is part of the discussion uh, and uh, we're working pretty hard uh, along with my colleagues in other portfolios to try to get some solutions happening. But realistically, I think it is going to take a bit of time. Um, you know, as I say, it's, this is something that's been coming for 10 years and we probably can't fix it in 10 minutes, but we are on the job and we know how much people are hurting. Another issue, Minister, uh, the live trade. Rumours abound that you will be the Minister to shut down the live export of sheep and lambs out of Western Australia. Is this, uh, is this on your agenda? Yeah, well, we did go to the election, Kerry, with a commitment uh, to phase out the live sheep export industry. Uh, and that's partly about animal welfare concerns, but it's also because we think there is a real opportunity um, to expand onshore processing in that industry. Um, one of our core themes heading into the election was that we wanted to rebuild manufacturing in Australia and make more things here. Uh, people always think that's about building machinery and things like that, but it's also about meat processing, which is you know a huge industry in Australia and we think has potential to grow even further. Um, so uh, I'm actually going to be heading off this afternoon to Western Australia uh, as part of my first trip there as the minister, and I'm making this issue the focus of the visit. So I'll be meeting with a whole range of people from farm groups to animal welfare groups to unions who've got an interest in the manufacturing side of things to better understand, you know, what people are th thinking, what the future would be. But I want to be honest with you, it, it, you know, it is our intention to deliver on that election commitment. Um, I think you get into strife when you make commitments and you don't follow through on them. Uh, but we're in no rush to do this. And the Prime Minister has made clear himself that it's not something that we intend to do just in this term of office. You know, obviously, if you're talking about phasing out an industry, that's a big change for people and you can't do that kind of thing overnight. Uh, so I want to work really closely with the industry around what are the alternatives that we can be supporting. Um, you know, we, we announced heading into the election that we were going to set up a $15 billion national reconstruction fund, which was all about, as I say, rebuilding manufacturing and ag has got to be part of that. So there will be money available for these sort of things to help people transition to more onshore processing and other things like that. So I'm, I'm up for the conversation with people about how we do this phase out and over what kind of time frame uh, and how we can support the industry through it. So not in, the, not in this term, maybe three or four or five years' time perhaps? 
Yeah, look, we haven't set a time frame for it because we, again, we acknowledge that it's a big change and it needs to be done in an orderly fashion. Um, but what we can say is that it's not going to be happening just in this term of office. So we won't be, you know, have phased out the industry in a three-year period. I think that is too soon uh, for the industry to handle. Um, you know, what we've seen in other industries, and I suppose I'm particularly thinking of power and coal and things like that, is if, the, if these sort of transitions happen too quickly, then people get hurt. And we don't want to do that. We want to work with the industry to do this in a sensible way. Um, so that's why we're not going to be doing it just in this term of office. It'll take a bit longer than that. Now the live trade out of the north, is that safe for the moment at least? Yeah, I should have actually said that, that Kerry, that um, this doesn't have any impact whatsoever on live cattle exports. Um, the, uh, we, we've made very clear that our only plans are around live sheep. Um, we know that live cattle exports is a huge industry a big employer and big export earner, particularly for the north, uh, and we have absolutely no plans whatsoever to, to get in the way of that. I mean, having said that, as I say, like you know, wherever there's opportunities to do more onshore processing, I think that's a good thing for the country because it does create more jobs in regional areas. But equally, I recognise that we need that live cattle export industry because of the jobs and the money it produces for the country too. Now, the compensation payments uh, resulting from the Joe Ludwig decision back in 2011... They look like amounting to several hundred million dollars, if not more. Who pays for this? Uh, well, uh, I've, I've got to be a little bit careful here because of legal negotiations, Kerry, but um, uh, it is likely to be a large sum of money. And again, I think that that is something that we've taken into account in terms of thinking about uh, any plans to phase out industries and, and, and how those sort of things need to be done in an orderly manner. Um the, uh, we're in negotiations at the moment with other parties and insurers and people like that uh, around that, that figure. I probably can't say too much more because it's at a bit of a delicate stage, but um, it is a lot of money. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, as I say, it's been a, a learning for all of us about how these things um, can be done in a, in a sensible manner. So have you excluded any plans to put a levy on the broader industry to pay? Um, look, that hasn't come up in any conversations that I've had, Kerry. Um, so it doesn't seem to me that that's something that's being considered. Um, so, yeah, but no, not, not one person has raised that with me, whether it be from the department or anyone else, uh, as a possible solution. Now, the carbon emissions mission, um, agriculture, what's the attitude towards uh, agriculture in this, uh, in this saga so far and what's, what are the plans ahead? Yeah. Well, I've got to say, Kerry, one of the things I've been really encouraged by since I took on the role is how um, keen farm groups and farmers are to uh, push the sustainability message and sustainability in their operations. And as you know, uh, most farmers are already doing a lot of these things. They're, they're already taking lots of action to uh, reduce their emissions on their farms, in their processing sheds and those kinds of things as well. And to be honest with you, I think this is probably an area where the industry itself got ahead of where the previous government was at. Um, obviously, the NFF got on board for net zero by 2050 well before the last government did. Meat and Livestock Australia are on board for carbon neutral production by 2030, uh, which is even more ambitious than uh, the Albanese government's targets. So the way I'm sort of thinking about this is that I want to make sure that as we implement our policies to reduce emissions, that we do it in a way that supports agriculture, uh, particularly the cattle industry, uh, and, and in fact actually gives them opportunities um, to seize because I think there are some real opportunities. You know, whether we're talking about carbon markets or anything else, there's, 
there's ways that we can do things that actually provide farmers with different income streams um, to support them when times are tough uh, in the main part of what they're doing. So, as I say, I think I've been really encouraged by what people have had to say. Uh, and uh, I think this is something where we can make a lot of progress that will actually help farmers rather than hurt them. Now, some discussion with our near neighbour in New Zealand about putting a tax on the burps and farts of livestock. Um, has that been discussed at any serious level in Australia? No. Again, it, no No one has raised that with me within government as something that we should be looking at. Um, I think New Zealand has a, has a pretty different kind of economy to Australia and in terms of where their emissions come from, I think their emissions are overwhelmingly from agriculture, whereas ours are more from other industries like power and energy and things like that. Obviously, obviously agriculture is a big contributor to Australia's emissions, and it's in our interest to to try to um, reduce those emissions over time. Uh, as you know, you know a lot of customers overseas are increasingly looking for clean, green products uh, and are prepared to pay a premium for them. So. If we can demonstrate to the world that we're already doing good things in this space and have plans to do more, I think that, that in fact, that can actually open up more markets to us. Um, but no, look, we, there's, we haven't considered this methane tax idea whatsoever. Yeah, there, there is there is the issue of the global methane pledge out there, which um, came up in the run-up to that Glasgow conference last year. Um, and we are giving some consideration to that. And I've, I've talked with some of the peak farm groups about that, but there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what that requires. I think people think that what that means is that every farmer has got to cut their emission, their methane emissions by a certain amount. Um, in fact, all it is is saying that we would work with other countries um, to collectively reduce methane emissions uh, over a period of time. There wouldn't be, it's not sort of binding on any country, it's not binding on any industry, it doesn't require a target for any particular industry. I think there was a lot of noise made about what this might mean uh, last year by certain people, and it turns out it's not quite true. So, as I say, like I've, I've found so far that farm groups are already working really hard to reduce their methane emissions. We have, as an industry, cut those emissions dramatically in recent years, and there's lots of good ideas about how we can do more. Well, I think a burping and farting from livestock is an appropriate place to... Uh to end our first interview, Minister. <laughs> Sounds good, Kerry. <laughs> thank you for, thank you for your time on Beef Central today. Pleasure to talk. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk, talk again sometime. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Alenko Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group. 